identity, all of our hope, both for this life and the life to come. Our text today is Revelation chapter 18. I invite you to turn there with me. Revelation, of course, is the last book in your Bibles. Uh, Revelation 18 is, uh, what, the fifth to last chapter in the book of uh, Revelation. Revelation 18, uh, verses 1 through 8. Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18 is an extended commentary on the fall of Babylon. We saw in the first few verses of chapter 17, Babylon described for us what is it that we might see it and recognize it. And then in verses 7 through 18 of chapter 17, we saw more features of the beast that works hand-in-hand with Babylon, and we considered uh, last week the history of that beast. Uh, This week, we now look again at Babylon more particularly, and we consider its fall. Uh, Chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's uh, once again seek the face of God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the uh, power of your word. It speaks into our present world. and We thank you that it declares for us truth. 
in the midst of lies and deceit. We thank you that we have a sure word from heaven. And Lord, even as you have spoken to us in truth, in the very battleground of our hearts and of our minds this hour, uh, the temptation is going to be to be unbelieving. We pray, O Lord, our God, that by your Spirit you would make us to believe And after believing, to live by every word that you have spoken here. Lord, your word is truth. Sanctify us by your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. One of the very most important uh, books that has ever been written was written by the 4th century saint, St. Augustine. The name of the book is uh, The City of God. It's not an easy read. It's a very long read. But it's very important. Augustine labored over a decade on this book. And the basic premise of the book is that there are uh, two cities, only two. There is, on the one hand, the heavenly city, Jerusalem. And on the other, the worldly city, Babylon. The entire human race belongs to one or the other of these uh, two cities. We are citizens, ultimately, of either Babylon or of the heavenly Jerusalem. And indeed, all of human history uh, can be reduced to the story of these two cities. That's something of the perspective that we are uh, given here in the book of, of Revelation. Here, uh, we are told of Babylon. Babylon is mentioned several times through the book of Revelation. Babylon, we have considered in a previous week, has a long history itself. Begins, as it were, at the Tower of Babel, when mankind, in their uh, idolatry and foolishness and self-centeredness, sought to build a tower on their own that would reach uh, to the very heavens. Babylon was manifested as well in that ancient civilization of uh, Babylon, uh, which was a very proud civilization and ultimately fell. Babylon was also in John's day to be found in the city of Rome. With all of its mighty uh, conquests, but all of its worldliness and all of its debauchery. But Babylon, as it's described in the Scriptures, is not confined simply to any one of those particular expressions, but rather represents that which through all of human history, through all of human history, uh, exemplifies the spirit of worldliness. Babylon is that city which represents the worldliness that has so captivated human society throughout the world and across the ages. Babylon here refers to that way of thinking and living without reference to God, acting as if this world is all that there is. The defining characteristic of this city of Babylon is that it is anti-God, that God's commandments are not the standard by which we live, that God's glory is is not the aim for which we uh, live. It is this Babylon. Well, 
It is crucial that if we are to live faithfully in this world, that we understand what Babylon is and where Babylon is headed. We're going to consider these things over three different points this morning, three important points. Uh, First of all, I want us to consider Babylon's intoxicating influence. Secondly, Babylon's certain judgment. And then fourth and finally, a call that comes out to us, a call to us, which is to come out of Babylon. Babylon's intoxicating influence, Babylon's certain judgment, and then a call to us to come out of Babylon. Well, the first thing that I want us to see is Babylon's intoxicating influence. As I just uh, made the point that Babylon represents the spirit of uh, worldliness that has captivated human society ever since the fall of man as human civilization's are built, they are built often not on the premise of God and of his word and of his truth, but rather on the very spirit of worldliness and the spirit of man. And Babylon here in its description uh, is described as in particular having three different marks. There are more marks than these, uh, but we can speak of these three things in particular that are pointed out in this passage. And the first mark is the mark of sensuality sensuality. Babylon itself is described, is it not, as a harlot. And here in verse 3, it says that all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. That one of the marks that uh, defines Babylon is that mark of sexual immorality. You know, sexuality is a beautiful, good gift of the living God. It is an expression of love and of intimacy within the bond of covenant marriage between a man and a woman, within those restraints that are governed by God's law. But dear friends, wherever Babylon is found, sexuality itself is flaunted. Don't we see it in our own days as Uh, The restraints that God has placed upon this are uh, routinely ignored. In our days, uh, the standards of modesty in dress for both men and women have become such that uh, uh, kind of, again, human sexuality is flaunted. There is uh, uh, a certain kind of sex appeal that sells things in advertising. There are increasingly graphic expressions in novels and TV stations and movies. It seems with every passing year uh, that, is, uh, that is the case. There is a pornography industry uh, with obscene amounts of wealth, with the rise of the Internet. Uh, for all the many good uses of the Internet, it is often used as well for very wicked purposes. And with the rise of this kind of uh, sexual immorality comes as well these disordered sexual desires in our day and and age uh, 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 in which now homosexuality is considered uh, normal and even something to be celebrated uh, in which 
uh, uh, sexual immorality of every kind, whether it be adultery or fornication, is looked upon as uh, normal and is often considered acceptable, that certain sexual desires are seen simply as basic human needs to be expressed and fulfilled in whatever way possible. Dear friends, we are told even in the scriptures that this is one of the marks of Babylon. We see it in our own day, the mark of sensuality. But a second mark of Babylon is a mark of materialism. Find this in verse 3, uh, that the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. In verse 7 as well, uh, we are uh, told that she glorified herself and lived in luxury. Next week, we'll see in verses 16 and 17 uh, that uh, this is the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. It speaks of all the wealth in verse 17 of this city. There is uh, in Babylon a kind of infatuation with material things. Now again, as we're going to make comment a little bit later, material things in themselves are not bad. God's the creator of this world. Uh, things like inventions and industry and wealth are expressions of humans taking God-given dominion and using God-given gifts in order to serve God. Material things themselves are not bad. They can be enjoyed properly for the glory of God. But the problem is, is that in this sinful world, that they, people seek to find ultimate meaning and purpose in material things. If you were to ask a lot of people, what is it that you want in your life? Many will say, I want to make money. Lots of it. And they measure their lives consciously often, unconsciously often, by the things that they obtain. They've done well if they have lots of nice, luxurious, material things. They consider themselves to have not done so well if they don't have many of those things, and they covet what other people have. If you ask somebody the question, well, how successful are you? Again, that is usually measured in our world with how much money you have made, how many treasures you've obtained. Jesus speaks of these as treasures that are on earth, which moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And yet it is these earthly treasures, these material things, that this world is so often obsessed with. Again, if you look at the things that most people live their lives for, the ways that they measure success, the things that are advertised, that are lived for, the desires that grow up in people's hearts, and so often it is consumed with material things. Babylon is marked by a kind of materialism. But the third thing that Babylon is marked by is pride or self-sufficiency. We see this at the end of verse 7. In her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. In other words, uh, I have no needs. I, I'm self-sufficient. I'm going to make it. There's a sense that any problem that we face, Babylon says, I can fix it. 
A perfect human society can be created. I don't need God at all. Don't we see this in the world in which we live? An unwillingness to be humbled by our sin or to seek the face of God for mercy. There is no problem too great that humanity and its ingenuity can't solve, we are told. There's a pride or a self-sufficiency to Babylon. Well, these are three marks that are clearly in these verses. I think we could say there are other marks to Babylon as well. But isn't it interesting? These words were written nearly 2,000 years ago. It's the mark of Babylon. Could there be a more fitting description of the world in which we live today? A world obsessed with human sensuality, with materialism. A world puffed up in its pride. You see, this spirit of the world in John's day, in our day, and in every other age is a spirit that can be absolutely intoxicating. Isn't that the language that's used, verse 3? All nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth, that is, the, the mighty, the powerful, they have committed immorality with her. They have chased after this harlot. The merchants of the earth, the the business people, they've grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It's by this worldliness, this worldly philosophy that the world has become absolutely uh, intoxicated. Okay, you think of one who's intoxicated or drunk. That is, they, they, are, they are absolutely uh, controlled by that drink. And so it is, the world is controlled by the spirit of Babylon. We might even say that they're infatuated with it. That is, uh, that, that their minds are taken up so consumed with uh, this spirit of worldliness that uh, it, it looks nowhere else. The world goes mad about these things. It's obsessed, we might say. It's not just a kind of dabbling with this harlot, but rather it's a selling oneself to this harlot. Dear friends, the world is powerful. Its message is attractive. And it is appealing. That's what this verse makes clear. And we need to be honest about that with ourselves, don't we? Can you be honest with your own soul? In what ways has Babylon gripped your own soul? In what ways have you believed its message? How have you been intoxicated with its offerings? Oh, this Babylon can take such a grip on the souls of so many, and we need to see it for what it is. And it is for this reason that we need to hear the message of this chapter. One writer, Michael Wilcock, puts it this way. He says, this is why the spell, the spell that's cast by Babylon, this is why the spell needs to be broken by a voice of even greater authority. We need to hear this angel that comes from heaven with a glory that is brighter and a voice more compelling than that of Babylon to declare again that vital part of the divine message which assures us of her final downfall. See what he's saying. He is saying, oh, that as we hear the message of Babylon in our ears daily, 
through the things that we hear from others, through the things that we catch from mass media, through uh, the message uh, that we latch onto in the world around us, with more, we need to hear instead that voice that comes with, uh, to us with even more authority, which is the voice of God himself telling us uh, what the final end of this Babylon is. And that leads us now, secondly, to Babylon's certain judgment. Babylon's certain judgment. Again, verse 1 speaks to us of this angel coming down from heaven. It has authority. The earth made bright with its glory. Here's an angel sent from nowhere else but the very throne room of heaven. And this angel calls out now with a mighty voice, with an authority that is no less than the authority of God himself. And listen to what this angel says. It tells us in a world that is so consumed with Babylon's offerings, it says to us, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Speaks a message of judgment upon mighty Babylon. And this message of judgment is so certain that it speaks as if it has already happened. Fallen, fallen, this Babylon is. Sometimes we look around us and we want to say, has it really fallen? The answer of Scripture is that its doom is so sure, is so sure and certain that we can speak of it in this way. And there's a sense in which Babylon has fallen. Talk to me of, of ancient civilizations that were given over uh, to these things. Where is the Babylon of old that in all of its pride was lifted up? Where is ancient Rome with all of its sensuality, with all of its power? You see, these are civilizations that have fallen, and fallen in large part due to its own sinful excesses. The, so, the, the, the seed of its own destruction was sown uh, in its own ungodliness, in its power grasping, in its sensuality, in its materialism, so given over to luxury that the, that the very virtue of the people was failing and the civilization crashed. Dear friends, it's the same in our own day, as one writer has said, is it not that America itself is slouching toward Gomorrah? And that that judgment that was suffered by Gomorrah in the Old Testament is certainly going to be faced by our own culture as well, apart from any lasting repentance or any turning from God, that America with all of its power and might and materialism and godlessness. But the same thing will be written over it that is written over those civilizations of old. And so there is indeed throughout human history a kind of rising and falling as Babylon sows the seed of its own destruction through its own idolatry. But I think these verses are not just speaking of one civilization after another that will rise and fall ad infinitum, but rather it's speaking here from the perspective of eternity. And it is saying, dear friends, that there is going to come a day in which Babylon in every manifestation is going to come under the final judgment of Almighty God. That from the grand perspective of eternity, 
on that final day of judgment, when the day that Jesus appears, this Babylon is going to last no longer. That human civilization built without God is going to last no longer. We see this in a variety of things that we're told about this sure and certain judgment. On the one hand, we're told in verse 2 that this Babylon is going to become desolate and a spiritual wasteland. Do you see that language? A haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean uh, bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable uh, uh, beast. It's a dwelling place for demons, it says. And indeed, in the Old Testament, there are uh, several passages that say that Babylon itself would become the habitation of wild animals. Isaiah chapter 13 and verses 19 through 22 use this language that is picked up on in Revelation. Isaiah 13 speaks there of Babylon, the glory of kingdoms. This is Isaiah 13, 19. The splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there. And their houses will become full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant places. Its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. I mean, the image is a, it's of a ghost town, isn't it? Maybe you've seen pictures of, of, in times of war, of great cities that have been bombed. And, and uh, animals roaming the streets where once civilization dwelt. And, and it's saying that that's the picture, ultimately, of what Babylon and all of its glory and splendor is coming to. It's going to be a place where there are just these, these, these wild animals and ultimately a place where the demons themselves are going to dwell. A wasteland that is haunted by evil spirits. So however impressive worldly society looks, you need to remember that behind all of this impressiveness, this is where it is headed. Desolate. A wasteland. The second thing that we see about Babylon's judgment is that it, it, Babylon will receive a just recompense. We see this in verse 5 and verse 6. Her sins, Babylon's sins, are heaped high as heaven. Okay? In other words, that one sin, I mean, think of it like a giant, a giant pile, okay? Uh, uh, you know, just this last week, the the manse was taken down. I was here for a lot of it. It was fascinating, okay? And it was a giant pile of rubble that was then quickly disposed of. But it's saying here that the sins of Babylon are going to be like a, a, a high pile of rubble, one heaped upon another, heaped upon another. And you might say, well, is God recognizing this? Does God see this? And the answer is yes, God sees every bit of it. God has remembered her iniquities. All of it, God sees. Well, what's he going to do about it? Well, we're told in verse 6, pay her back. It's the voice, as it were, telling God to act in judgment. 
Repay her back as she herself has paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Well, what's this, what's this language of double? It's not saying uh, twice the judgment, uh, but rather it, it's saying a, a duplicate portion. You know, if you see double of yourself in a mirror, what do you see? You see a, a mirror image of, of yourself. And it's saying that, that as Babylon has given out in sin, so Babylon will receive in, in judgment. It's going to be judgment that is not less than Babylon deserves, not more, but commensurate or a perfect match to the sin that it has committed. What a reminder this is, that as we live in a, in a world that is given over to godlessness, that the Lord sees and he recognizes and every godless act is going to come under the just recompense of Almighty God. He sees, he notices, he judges. But the third thing then is that it's judgment. This is still under the second point. The third thing about the judgment of Babylon is that it's judgment will be unexpected and sudden. Unexpected and sudden. You see this in verses 7 and 8. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. In other words, as she sits in luxury, it's kind of like that, that rich fool. Do you remember the rich fool in Luke chapter 12? Who kept building bigger and bigger barns for himself with no thought to the fact that he was going to die. With no thought to God. And he tells his own soul to to rest and to take it easy in the things that he has accomplished. The Lord says, this very night, your own soul is going to be required. It's a sudden judgment. And that's the kind of judgment that it says upon Babylon here, that while it's at, at rest and at ease, for this reason her plagues will come, how? In a single day. Single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Oh, the judgment of Babylon is that which is sudden, and when the world least expects it. You know, this is how God often acts. Think of the flood in Noah's day. People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that sudden moment when the waters came out of heaven. Noah had been warning them for years, and the people didn't believe. They thought life was going to go on as it had been going on, and then suddenly, sudden judgment appears. Or think similarly of that judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, a warning that was given, but the Lord comes upon those cities in sudden judgment. And dear friends, this is what we are told that final day of judgment is going to be like. It is even while people are saying peace and safety, and they think that they're secure, while Babylon believes that it shall never see any kind of mourning at all. That at that moment, judgment is sure to come. Its judgment will be unexpected and sudden. Do you, friends, do you believe that this is the truth of, of Almighty God? 
because you and I live again in a day and age in which it seems that Babylon is very strong. Its message is intoxicating to many. It's appealing and attractive. The Lord says this is the kind of judgment that is going to come. It comes upon civilizations throughout history. It's going to come in finality when the Lord Jesus returns. Wow. You need to be reminded, I think, of the message of Psalm 73. Psalm 73 really provides the application of this point. There, Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asaph says, verse 2, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you feel like that sometimes? We're tempted to be envious of the world and all of its wealth and all of its easy living without any pangs of conscience, it seems. Their lives at times appear fun and easy and successful. Times we're tempted to be envious of the wicked. Where does the psalm lead? Down to verse 17. The psalmist was envious of the wicked until what? what, Verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until what? I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Truly, You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. No, friends, when we are tempted to be envious of the wicked, let us remember the sure and a certain judgment that comes upon all who do not know God. Let's move on now, third and finally, to our last point, which is a call now to us to come out of Babylon. The call to us, which is to come out of Babylon. Verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven, another urgent voice, another urgent message for you and for me to hear. It's It's like if you were... Uh, to, to, to see a, a little child out in the road and a car is about to come and hit that child, what would you do? You would, you would yell, move, get out of the way. Well, that's the kind of message that is coming to us with that kind of urgency here, seeing where Babylon is headed. Don't be in its path of destruction, but rather, verse 4, come out of her, my people lest you take part in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. It is a call ultimately to conversion. It it is a call to turn to the Lord. And it is a call to not participate uh, in the sins of this uh, wicked age. What what does this mean? I mean, what, what does it mean ultimately to come out of Babylon? Well, let me just tell you a couple things that it doesn't mean, and then we'll explain what it does mean. Okay, it doesn't mean on the one hand uh, that we are to ignore the good gifts of God in this, in this world. Do you know that this world 
was made by God, and it was declared to be very good. And as Christians, we can live with a thankful appreciation for the things that God has made. We can take a walk in the woods and admire his nature. We can eat a good meal and be thankful for food that God has created. We can use our bodies to play sports and do so with gratitude to God. We can show human creativity in decorating or in engaging in other artistic endeavors because these are abilities that the Lord has given us. We can engage in human interaction with others and acknowledge that they are a creature made in the image of God and enjoy conversation and enjoy relationships with others. We can engage in work and in business because God is a God who has given us gifts for that and told us to, as it were, take dominion in this world that he has made. We can even build wealth that will then be used for godly ends. We can do good things in this world in which we live. And so the Bible is not saying to us that we ought to withdraw completely from society. That's not what it means to come out of Babylon. Rather, we of all people are to engage in these things knowing from whom they came and what good ends they can be used for. Okay, so we don't, as it were, uh, leave the activities good activities of this world. Similarly, to come out from Babylon doesn't mean that we physically isolate ourselves from unbelievers. We aren't called to live in a monastery or in a convent. Okay? Now, there is a certain kind of... uh, uh, We we have to be careful, uh, certainly, about some of the associations that we make. We ought not to marry an unbeliever. Our closest friends ought to be Christians. We need to be committed to the community that is the church. So we do need to think, where where are my closest human relationships and ties? And they need to be with other believers. It doesn't mean that we don't have any interaction with an unbelieving world, right? We are called to be in the world, salt and light, showing forth Christ amidst a, a dying world. We're to stand out from the world, but we are to have interactions still with uh, unbelievers. Jesus certainly did. Uh, Paul and others certainly did. We are also uh, to do that. Well, then what does it mean, then, to come out of Babylon if it doesn't mean that we don't engage in ordinary, everyday things in this world, that we don't have a contact with unbelievers in this world? What are we to separate ourselves from? Well, the thing that we are to separate from is this culture's sinful attitudes and practices. That's what. It's the sin of the world around us that we are to separate from. It is the view, it is the the sexual immorality of this world. It is their idolatry of money and of possessions. It is their foul use of language. It is their use of time that has no time for the Lord. Those are the things that we are to separate from, and we are to not assimilate into the world around us, but instead be willing to stand out. Come out from among Babylon. Don't make your lifestyle the lifestyle of the world 
around you. Well, how do you do this? Well, you do this chiefly by looking to your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just a call to us, on your own strength, come out of Babylon. But surely it is a reminder, is it not, to you and to me, that you and I have been redeemed from this world by a gracious Savior who has suffered and died for us. We have the the very seeds of worldliness in our own hearts. It's not just something out there, it's something in here. It's something deep in here. And yet it's this very sin that my Lord Jesus suffered on Calvary's cross to save me from, to save me from the wrath of God that I deserve along with this wicked world. And to cleanse me from the inside out. To make me walk as one of his children. So come out from Babylon. How do we do that? Well, we do it by cleaving all the more closely to our Savior who has redeemed us and indwelt us by his Holy Spirit that we might live differently from uh, this world. Uh, Romans 12 is such a beautiful expression of all of this. Uh, Romans 12, verses uh, 1 and 2, that tell us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by those who have experienced his saving grace, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. That is, don't be molded into the image of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see the the language there? Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. How? Well, it's as we offer ourselves uh, to the Lord. To the Lord Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so how are we to come out from the world? Well, it is to by cleaving to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by looking at his life and his commands and the power of the Spirit that dwells in us and seeking to live differently because we are living unto him. It's every day cultivating communion with the Lord Jesus. Well, again, let me just put a little bit more application to this and and just point out three areas quickly before we close about what this means to come out from Babylon as we look to the Lord Jesus. Those three things are these. First of all, that we need to train our minds. If we are to come out from Babylon, it involves a training of our minds. That is, we need to come out from Babylon in the way that we think. Not thinking according to the lies of this world, but rather being trained in our minds according to the truth of God's Word. The truth of His commandments, the truth of His promises, trained according to the Scriptures. This is why you need to be in the Bible, because it's in the Bible that your mind is going to be trained. This is why you need for your children lots of the Bible. This is why they need to be in Sunday school. This is why you need to have family worship in your homes. It is because we need our thinking continually transformed by the Word of God. This is why uh, many of us send our children to Uh, Christian schools or seek to educate them in the home according to Christian principles. Or if you send them to a public school, realize as well that you need in the home 
to be constantly bringing the things that they learn to the, to the touchstone of Holy Scripture. Dear friends, it is, it is our minds that need to be trained according uh, to the Word of God. How about your thinking? How about your thinking? Are you training your mind? But a second thing, if we are to come out from Babylon, is that we need to guard our hearts. If our minds have to do with our thinking, our hearts have to do with our affections. What are the things that we love? The world is subtle. The world draws us in. And as Christians, we need to self-consciously think about our hearts. What is it that I'm loving more than anything else? Do I love the Lord Jesus? Do I love the Lord Jesus more than I love my money? Do I love the Lord Jesus more than I love my sports, more than I love my hobbies? Do I love the Lord Jesus even more than I love my family? Do I love the Lord Jesus more than anything in this world? Where are our affections? Guard your heart. Think about your heart. Where is it directed? Is it directed to the Lord? Or is it directed to the things of this world? But then the third application there is that we need to be intentional in our behavior. Train our minds. Guard our hearts. Be intentional in how we live. Is your life different? from the lives of those around you, in the way that you speak, in the things that you engage in, would your friends or the people that know you say, yes, I can tell by the way that you live that you're a Christian. You're different from the world around you. And it needs to be in the life of the Christian that our behavior is different because we are seeking to live for the Lord. Now, to train our minds, to guard our hearts, to be different in our behavior, it, it involves a, a cost. It does. It, it, it will seem at times that you are not having as much fun or that you are not being as successful as the people in the world. It seems like, like Asaph saw, that it seems that at times they're going to get ahead of you. You're going to feel that. Is this worth it in the end? Okay? I, I mean... You know, at times you're going to feel it. You're going to have a, uh, you're going to know that other person, that other young person who gives herself or himself over to sexual immorality, and they, they're the one who seems to have the girlfriend or the boyfriend. Okay? At times it's, it's going to seem that the other people that are willing to be dishonest at work or willing to, to do anything to kind of get ahead, that they're the ones getting the promotions, they're the ones getting the pay raises, getting ahead in this world you're going to realize that the kingdom of Christ does make demands on your time and on your energy and on your pocketbook. That there is a cost to following Christ. It's true, but remember amidst all of the cost that there is in following Christ that it is all worth it. Babylon's destruction is certain. Those who live for Christ receive true joy and everlasting life. Fading, the hymn says, is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures 
none but Zion's children. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for uh, this word of warning today, word of warning about Babylon, about its intoxicating allurements, about its certain judgment, and about the call to each one of us to come out from Babylon, to come out from its sinful ways. Lord, we pray that we would pay heed to this call today. That you would enable us, O Lord, to avoid this world with all of its allurements and instead to flee daily and to cultivate daily that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in this, I pray. O Lord, be our help, we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing now. The hymn is...